This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Welcome to the World Shared Practice Forum. I'm Dr. Adrian Randolph. Senior Associate in Critical Care Medicine at Boston Children's Hospital and Professor of Anesthesia and Pediatrics at Harvard Medical School. We're very pleased to have with us today Dr. Karen Chung. Dr. Chung is a professor in the Department of Pediatrics and Critical Care at McMaster University and in the Department of Health Research Methods, Evidence, and Impact. Today, following up on your video, Early Rehabilitation in the PICU, we now have a brief video describing in detail how you mobilize a child in the PICU. Dr. Chung? So in this presentation, I'm going to speak about how to implement early mobilization in critically ill children. I'm going to address why it is important to mobilize critically ill children, what the goals of early mobilization are, what constitutes mobilization in this population, when we should mobilize, and finally, some tips on how to mobilize critically ill children. Why mobilize critically ill children? We know that immobility is currently the standard of care in our pediatric ICUs. In a study that we conducted, we found that only 13 to 32 percent of children are mobilized while they're in the PICU. We are slow to mobilize patients. Only 9.5 percent of children are mobilized while they're in the pediatric ICU. The time to mobilization depends on whether these patients are medical or they're surgical. It takes up to five days to mobilize a medical patient and up to 14 days to mobilize a mechanically ventilated child. We're also very slow to consult rehabilitation services, meaning physiotherapy and occupational therapy. There is now ample adult data showing that immobility is harmful and affects almost every organ system. Immobility can give rise not just to short-term morbidity, such as increased ventilated duration and increased length of stay, but also long-term physical and non-physical sequelae, such as ICU-acquired weakness, and as well as cognitive impairment, depression, and delirium. These can affect a child's functioning as well as their quality of life long after they leave the pediatric ICU. So the reason to mobilize critically ill patients is because immobility is harmful and mobility is medicine. This is not a new concept. You can see that this study from 1972 began mobilizing mechanically ventilated adults. In this 1972 paper, Dr. Ross said, early ambulation is clinically useful, patient acceptance is excellent, and it is our impression that by early ambulation, weaning has been facilitated and hastened, and the problems of prolonged bed rest and chair rest are minimized. And in fact, they used this mobility device in this paper in 1975, which is similar to the IC walker that has been developed for adults today. Fast forward 40 years and there is no longer anecdotal evidence. We now have systematic review evidence that compared to other interventions in the ICU to date, the only intervention effective in improving long-term physical function is exercise-based mobility physiotherapy. We'd like to turn now to ask the audience a question. When you respond, please leave your city and country location. Do any of you use a rehabilitation bundle in your PICU?
And now we're back with Dr. Chu. There is adult systematic review data now showing that early mobilization improves mobility function and strength at hospital discharge. It also increases days alive and out of hospital to 180 days. Its effect on longer-term outcomes such as functioning, however, is unclear. We also conducted a systematic review of early mobilization in critically ill children, and we found only four studies, and so there's less data available in pediatrics. We only found one study that measured functional outcomes in the post-PICU period. What we can tell from this systematic review, however, is that early mobilization guidelines and interdisciplinary team support increases the proportion of patients who receive PICU-based rehabilitation and improves the frequency and time to mobilization. And so the goals of early mobilization are to reduce harm, meaning PICU-acquired complications of weakness, delirium, and immobility, and improve functional recovery in the period post-PICU. Early mobilization can only be effective if supported by a rehabilitation bundle that also addresses sedation and delirium, and that is the ABCDF bundle. There are challenges to mobilizing critically ill children. Adults require active participation. Their target for mobilization in adults is ambulation and endurance. In the pediatric population, however, we have a broad developmental age range. 53 to 68% of our children have some chronic comorbidity and up to 44% have functional disabilities. And so target functional mobility in children is heterogeneous and children will be children. If they don't want to mobilize, they just won't. And so our strategies that we use to mobilize critically ill children should be different than in adults. What constitutes mobilization in critically ill children? This should be individualized and focused on progressive range of motion and increasing mobility and strength. We target the highest level of functional mobility each day and this should be determined by rehabilitation experts, meaning the physiotherapists and occupational therapists, in collaboration with clinician experts. The goal should be to mobilize patients to their highest level of functional activity while ensuring safety. We therefore describe graded levels of activity according to the level of assistance required and progressing them from in-bed to out-of-bed mobility. This is particularly relevant in children where the population is heterogeneous in age, cognitive, and functional ability, and subsequently cannot always comply with activities. When should we consider mobilizing critically ill children? In this study by Puthacheri et al. published in JAMA in 2013 showed that muscle atrophy occurs early and is further accentuated depending on the degree of organ uh, dysfunction. This skeletal muscle wasting parallels diaphragmatic atrophy with non-spontaneous breathing, mechanically ventilated adults. We also know from adult studies that early mobilization during mechanical ventilation can be associated with increased muscle strength at discharge the earlier it is implemented. Defining early is difficult because there is not much data on when the most appropriate time is. Some studies define early as a period of time, meaning 48 to 72 hours from PICU admission, and other studies define it by a physiologic course of the patient's condition. What we recommend is that early should be early assessments. What we recommend is the early assessment of patients for the readiness and safety of mobilization, meaning within 24 hours of PICU admission. 
we define readiness for mobilization by systems-based safety criteria that should be individualized for each patient and prompts a discussion with the multi-professional team. We've demonstrated that mobility-based rehabilitation is safe and feasible in critically ill patients. With increasing experience, we now have fewer and fewer contraindications. With more experience, we're making mobilization safer for our critically ill children. We now know it is possible to awaken and mobilize infants and toddlers, patients who are unconscious and uncooperative. And we also know that it's safe to mobilize patients on ECMO. We have fewer and fewer contraindications. We are able to mobilize patients with stimulus-sensitive seizures, patients on continuous renal replacement therapy, patients with cerebral palsy, patients with intracranial pressure monitoring, and patients with spinal cord injury. We conducted a systematic review and demonstrated that the adverse event rate related to early mobilization is actually very low. This is similar to the findings from an adult systematic review showing that there were only 2.6% of potential adverse events following 22,000 mobilization events in 7,500 patients. So what do we know about how frequently we should mobilize patients? We don't yet know about the appropriate dosing and frequency of mobilization in critically ill children, so we derive this information from different populations. We know the recommendation is that healthy children should have 60 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity every day. However, in the critically ill population, we're not sure what the appropriate duration is. In adult trials, adults have been mobilized for 15 to 30 minutes, one to two times a day, and in some studies, up to 60 minutes a day. Our PICU experience from the studies that have been published is that children have been mobilized from between 10 to 30 minutes, one to two times a day. There is no data regarding the ideal duration of mobility or physical rehabilitation critically ill adults and children, and so we have to turn to exercise physiology. It's not just about the duration, but it's about the level of intensity as well. So what we recommend with respect to mobilization, dosage, and frequency is that children should be mobilized a minimum of 30 minutes at least once a day initially, and then we reassess this prescription and response daily, and that there is graded intensity from passive to active-assisted to more active mobilization. We do understand, however, that there are potential benefits even with passive mobilization. The duration and frequency depends on the patient's underlying condition, of course. While I focused on mobility-based uh, rehabilitation, there are benefits to passive exercise in patients who cannot actively participate, such as the prevention of skeletal muscle atrophy and the preservation of joint mobility and arterial function. We recommend that the prescription for mobilization is assessed daily and regularly in consultation with the physiotherapist or occupational therapist. We recommend that mobilization is goal-directed and tailored to the patient's tolerance and strength, targeting the highest level of functional mobility every day. I have some tips on implementation of mobilization in the PICU that we've learned from uh, implementing this program in our unit. There are many barriers to mobilization. We know that there are ICU team factors, such as safety concerns, and the liberal use of sedation because we fear mobility in patients. There's a unit culture 
and there's a lack of knowledge and comfort with mobilization currently. And so mobilization is a low priority in some PICUs today. There are also patient-specific factors with respect to their disease process, but there's also patient non-compliance. As I mentioned, these are children, and children will be children. If they don't want to mobilize, it's difficult to get them engaged. And so we have to think about ways of engaging them so that we can get them to participate in this activity. There are also organizational factors that may be a barrier to mobilization, such as the lack of staffing, resources, and equipment. Sedation continues to be the key barrier to mobilizing critically ill patients. In these two studies from the adult literature, 63.5% of patients could not receive early mobilization because of sedation. We recommend that mobilization be implemented as part of a bundled approach. And the reason for this is because it's a complex intervention. It's not just about mobilization, it's about sedation reduction as well. And the best way that we found to deliver this is to use the ABCDF bundle, which we call PICU Liberate in our institution. Using this bundle helps us decrease the time to mobilization, decrease length of sedation, and decrease the use of benzodiazepines using collective evidence-based approach. We know that using these best practice guidelines improves unit culture and team communication, and it empowers our physiotherapists and occupational therapists, as well as our nurses, to mobilize. We also know that it increases the proportion and frequency of mobilization in our patients. We published these guidelines in the Journal of Pediatric Intensive Care uh, in 2017. And there's another guideline that's also been published, which is the PICU-UP guideline from Johns Hopkins. To facilitate early mobilization guidelines implementation, this is what we do in our unit. We use pre-printed order sets with automatic physiotherapy consults, we have a specific PICU activity order set, and we use daily goals checklists to prompt the delivery of mobilization. In our admission order set to the PICU, we've deleted the entry for bed rest because we believe that that's not necessary. The default activity is activity as tolerated, and that allows the physiotherapist to assess the patient and implement the appropriate activity as they are experts in mobilization. We've made mobilization usual care by having activity as tolerated as the default order for activity in our patients. We use a daily goals checklist to set daily goals for activity and sedation. Every day we ask in each patient, is it safe to move, what is the activity order, and can we make mobilization happen? We schedule the activity just like we schedule anything else, such as transports or interventional procedures or diagnostic imaging. Using the daily goals checklist to communicate this facilitates interprofessional closed-loop communication and makes it a priority. Using these guidelines prompt us to ask every day, is it safe to move the patient, what is the activity goal for that day, and when can we make it happen? So we ask these three questions every day for each patient. Instituting early mobilization is about instituting a culture of practice. Not only do we ask these questions every day for our patients, we perform a safety huddle where we think about which patient can we liberate that day. So it becomes a unit priority, not just an individual patient priority. We use adjuncts to mobilization, and in our study using a cyclogometer, we found that this cyclogometer facilitates mobilization and increases the duration of mobility-based activities. But cycling is not for every child there is a select population that we can use cycling in. And the reason for that is 
cycling is good for in-bed mobilization, but as soon as we can wake our patients up, we actually use out-of-bed mobilization. We use adjuncts for mobilization, such as pet therapy in this uh, picture, but also interactive video gaming, appropriate seating, cyclogometry for in-bed mobilization, but also out-of-bed uh, specific bicycles designed for actually mobilizing children in hospital. As I mentioned, children will be children, and sometimes they're not compliant with the activity, just as they may not be compliant with any of their other therapies. So we try to make mobilization engaging and fun, using different toys, neurodevelopmental play, and even music therapy. We use child life to help encourage these patients with play therapy to use their upper limb mobility. Family engagement is key to mobilization. There are no greater champions than the parent. Parents look forward to physiotherapy. They look forward to their exercise because they feel that it is something that the child can look forward to. It also gives them hope when their child is offered rehabilitation. And so engaging the parents really helps to encourage and motivate the children in mobilizing as well. We need to make mobilization sustainable in your units. So we use knowledge reservoirs as well as champions. And we also use a feedback and audit mechanism We've reviewed our mobilization guidelines, and our second iteration is more simple. We've taken out contraindications and made this a risk-based guideline because even though the patient is at high risk, it's not that we cannot mobilize these patients. We just have to think about a different way of mobilizing these patients safely. So what you're saying is that now every patient fits this criteria for mobilization is just how much the risk is associated with mobilization. That's right. We changed our language from a contraindication to mobilization to now considering the risk. If a patient is high risk, we weigh the risks to benefits of actually mobilizing that patient. And if it's felt that it may be beneficial, then we think about what is the safest type of mobility therapy for that patient. If the patient has a caution and is lower risk, then a physiotherapist is empowered to assess that patient and begin mobilization. And if the patient is low risk, then even the nurse can initiate mobilization or even the family member. Thank you so much. That was very informative. Thank you for sharing your PICU Liberate protocol with us. You're very welcome. Thank you, Dr. Randolph. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.